Welcome to Kashmas on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues from the, uh, for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmas Magazine. And we have a very interesting show today. We're going to be taking up a number of topics that I think will be relevant to all our listeners. But if you'd like to call in and discuss a topic of your own, or you want to comment on anything we're saying on the show, you can call us live right now at 718-683-5858. Again, 718-683-5858. We'd love to hear from you, whatever your Kashmir's questions are, or comments, or questions about the topic that we're discussing. If you'd like to email us, you can text us at 347-927-8398. Just text us, 347-927-8398. Now, we're beginning today, I want to make a, a mention of something we had mentioned on the last show, I believe. I think it was the last show. And the information that was given to me was that there's a, a little bit of a, an incorrect point that I made. I made last week, or when the last time we spoke, uh, we mentioned the problem with uh, esrogim. That esrogim from Eretz Israel have to have trumas and mice removed from them. That's true. They have to have trumas and mice removed. But according to information that I received from some people, the halacha is that to use an esrog, it has to be that the trumas and mice are removed. That an esrog of tevel is not able to be used even for the purposes of the mitzvah of Esro, so that it's unlikely that there's not trumas and mices removed. That's the information that I was given by someone who listens to the show regularly, and I did a little bit of investigation, but I'm not finished, and so far the investigation bears that out, that uh, some of the uh, different people that deal with the Esrogim business, so the importers from Israel, one of the major importers told us that, that definitely they removed Trumas and Mises there in Eretz Israel before the Esrogim come here. I just want to comment a little bit on that, and that is that uh, when I was in Eretz Israel, uh, I, I noticed that a number of people would remove Trumas and Mises without a bracha from things that had officially had Trumas and Mises removed. I spent a lot of time in Eretz Israel going around to the different hashkachos. I went with the badats of the Eid Haredes, I went with Shevish Israel, I went with Rabbanut from Yushalayim, and a number of other hashkachos as well, Agudas Yisrael, and uh, Rabbi Avram Rubin from Rehovot, among others. We, I spent a lot of time, I went to uh, also to um, Bells, I saw a lot of different hashkachos in Eretz Israel, and I went to the actual facilities. And what I did see is that, yes, there, uh, you know, something maybe like uh, esrogim, which is a mass product that you do all at once. Yeah, maybe that could be guaranteed. And especially if you have them, you know, you, you know the mashkir is removing it, and there's no additional produce coming in. But in the shops that we that you frequent in the stores in Eretz Israel. The uh, there, it isn't so simple to guarantee that the trumas and mice is always being removed, because they have to remember what they took it from. They bring new produce in, and it switches around a lot. I don't know how the esro business is set up, and I don't know if it's a fail-safe, guaranteed. Everything is removed without any question, or that in Eretz Israel, even with the good hashkachos, they may be removing it before they make the jelly. So I, I'm not finished with my investigation, but yes, in principle, um, trumas and mices were removed, at least from, they're supposed to be removed, from the esrogim. Uh, whether or not someone should rely on that for making jelly, I don't know yet. I'd like to research a little further. Hope to let you know soon. So that's just a little feedback on a topic that we had taken up. Now today, I want to share with you a couple of uh, conversations that I had with different people and point out a couple of things that apply to all of us and are very important for each person to know. Before that, though, I want to mention that next week on Tuesday and Wednesday is the Kosher Fest in New Jersey at the Meadowlands, and we hope to discuss a little bit about the show um, on Monday night at 6 o'clock, hopefully we'll be able to discuss it 
next week. Uh, and we, we, we want to let everybody who's listening now know that we are giving an award to the Mashkiach of the Year. This is our fourth annual Mashkiach of the Year award. We select a Mashkiach from those that are recommended by the different Kashrus agencies. And this year, the finalists, believe it or not, are uh, many of them are out of New York and uh, they have to be flown in to the kosher fest if they win. In fact, I have uh, some that are out of, you know, out of the country, so it's really very interesting. It's the first time we're really doing this, where we're, we're inviting people uh, to apply, and they have to get there themselves, because the, the prize has to be given at Kosher Fest. See, Kosher Fest, um, the company is partially sponsoring the contest. We give $1,000 to the mashkiach that we choose, and we select them from a whole list of people who've been recommended by different cautious agencies, they're allowed to recommend one or two on each, and we review and call uh, many of the finalists uh, to be to decide who is the one who is going to win the award. So obviously, we have to choose based upon certain uh, kinds of things that we're looking for to dis- determine what, whom we feel is definitely the best who was entered into the contest this year. I don't say he's the best mashkiach out there. The best mashkiach out there might not have been recommended, but that's not at the point. The point is, we can't ever define who is the best mashkiach, but we can say from the, those who were recommended by the different conscious agencies, we have certain criterion, we interview the people, and we make a decision as to whom we feel the confidence in that they're doing a very, very special job. And uh, I, I, over the years of three Previous years, we did choose very well. That I can tell you. Whether it was a tight, yes. Sometimes it was a very hard decision to make, but we we feel that we chose somebody who was very very highly qualified. And and sometimes the the reasons we chose had to do with communication. Uh, some people were presented that uh, didn't speak English well, and I speak Hebrew, I speak Yiddish. That's about as far as I go. My Spanish doesn't exist. If they want to talk Latin, I can do a little bit. But you can't really communicate with somebody who comes from a different country uh, and he doesn't reverse well. So that's that was a big setback for a couple of people that we had. And sometimes uh, we felt that the the, the people, uh, as, as much as they were doing a wonderful job for this Hashkocha, but in terms of uh, overall, were they a top, top man in the industry? In other words... You know, like the Havdil, the, the question Noyach was a tzaddik, only in his generation. But uh, would he be compared to somebody else? He wouldn't necessarily be a tzaddik. So this person may be the best in this organization, but they may be better out there. So we definitely try to choose the very best. And we hope to have on the show in about two weeks or maybe a little later, we hope to have the Mashkiach of the Year here. He will be chosen and, and will be given the $1,000 at next week's Kosher Fest. So anybody who wants to go there, that's a good place to go for two days. Uh, Kosher Fest is the, uh, the is a trade show of the industry of kosher. And I'm going to try, can't promise, I'm going to try to give our listeners uh, information about VIP tickets that will cost them nothing. So if you want to get a VIP ticket to the Kosher Fest, uh, you can email me just take down the email information and just write VIP. That means, you know, very important person. That's somebody you can get in with. You can get in without any money at all. I'm going to try to get you information about VIP tickets. I can't guarantee I'll be able to, but if you get, if you get the email to me, you can hope that I'll be able to get it back to you in another day or so. Uh, the information should be in our office already. So again, if you could just send an email to Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. Again, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. And we'll write, just write VIP. And we'll be able to send the information to you. You don't have to put your name on. Just write VIP as the subject and send it to Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. And we'll try to get that information to you. Um, you won't get it by calling up the company. This is something we happen to have the information about. Okay, now that's the 
end of that show, and hopefully next week we'll be talking a little bit about Kosher Fest we did last year. And now I'd like to go on to some of the topics of this evening, and uh, don't see any calls yet. If you want to call us, you can reach us at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or text us at 347-927-8398. We had a caller to ask about Bishul Israel for spouting. One of the issues that she asked. Okay, well, we've talked a lot about that in the past. Bishul Israel for Svadim is different than Bishul Israel for Ashkenazim because the Ashkenazim, according to the Shulchan Aruch, there are more, just have to have some small thing contributing to the fire. And then anybody could put the food on the fire, could be a non Jew as well. Uh, but for Sephardim, for it has to be that the Jew puts the food actually on the fire. So that's not happening. That's not happening in most establishments across the board because we are mostly Ashkenazic Hashkocha agencies. There are very few Sephardic-owned, Sephardic-run Kashrus agencies in the United States. In Israel, they do work towards satisfying the Sephardim. It's a major part, and certainly in in France, where there's a with the majority are Sephardim, there's definitely an interest in satisfying the Sephardim. But in America, there are very few Sephardic hashgachos. There's just a few of them, and they of course address the topic. But the Ashkenazim don't. Anybody who wants can go into any restaurant and say, "I want Bisha Yisrael for Sephardim. I want uh, full Bisha Yisrael." Whatever you say, you just call over the mashkiach, tell a waiter, I'd like to speak to the mashkiach. And they'll bring the mashkiach into the room. You ask him, please take care of it for me. I want Bish Yisrael for Sephardim. Now, you don't have to be a Sephardi to ask for that. And this way, you're definitely guaranteeing that you're getting full Bish Yisrael. Because even if the goy put the fire on, but you, turn, you put the food on, so that's definitely Bish Yisrael for everybody. The problem goes on that sometimes the the the, uh, the pilot light goes out, or they have a convection oven and they open it up and they close it the convection oven and then when it goes on when you close it so therefore uh, it effectually is being done by a non-Jew, but if you but it, sometimes uh, the mashkiach is not aware of it. So when you when you get bisha yisrael for svardim, then you're bypassing that system, and you're going to the Sephardic system, and everyone will be outside. So it'd be nice if we could institute it across the board, but it, that would mean a lot of Jewish workers, and unfortunately, Jewish workers cost men. A lot of the restaurant owners do not want to hire Jewish workers, except for the mashkiach. Sometimes they hire a cook, makes it easier, but uh, very often they, they do only Jewish workers are, are the cooks, so maybe they hire waiters and if they want to impress you that they have Jewish workers, but again, it, they're not dedicated to hiring Jewish workers. Okay, we're going to begin with the topic tonight. I want to share with you a story that happened a few days ago, or maybe a week ago, I'm not sure anymore, but uh, I was in a base medrash, which I haven't been in that base medrash for a while, and uh, I was learning a little bit. I had a little free time. I come into the base medrash, I'm sitting there learning, and somebody came over to me. Rather, it was in Borough Park, and I live in Flatbush. And this fellow who also lives in Flatbush came over to me, and he starts asking me a question about the different uh, the different issues about the insects today. So I told him, "Listen, I know the man. You know, he didn't plan to see me because we just happened to accidentally meet. He didn't come over to me looking for me. And what's he been doing till now?" So it, it hit me. I said to him really, you should be asking your rabbi. So he looks at me a little strange, you know, like, I'm, like why am I asking to look, ask his rabbi? I'm asking, he is asking me. And I realized that he didn't come to me because he's really, he's been searching for the answer for this question. He could have called me on the phone. He's coming over to me because, let me hear what Rabbi Wickler says about this insect problem that's uh, happening today. Let me see what he's saying. And I realized that this is not really the right method. And I told him, I said, you know, that's not really what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is, you have to have a rav for yourself. And the Rambam says it very beautifully. The Rambam says, 
It says in Mishnah and Pirkei even if he's not worthy to be your Rebbe, you have to pick somebody and make him your Rebbe. And I say lecharav means that you're going to ask him, and he's going to be able to know. How is he going to know? He's not in the kashvah spiel. He's looking into it too, because he's also a, a sincere Jew. And he'll find the answer, and he'll direct you to your to what's supposed to be done. He understands you. He knows you. You're daven in the shul. That's who you go to. Now, if he can't answer it, he doesn't know, or whatever it is, he doesn't eat those kind of foods, so then, of course, you go elsewhere. But first, go to your rub. So I told him, I asked him who his rub is, and he told me a very prominent rub here in Flatbush, very prominent rabbi. So I said to him, why don't you ask him? So he said, I did. So, so what did he say? He said he's looking into it. He's investigating it. So I said, Gavaltic, I'm very impressed. I said, that's the right answer. It, you know, if he would just say, oh, uh, Rabbi Goldstein, Rabbi Wickler, the radio, they said this. No, okay, so he, he doesn't know. Maybe he looked into it. Maybe he looked it further. Maybe not. But he's just sort of buying in. If he says this in this kasher sentence, he says it, and they're telling everybody that's all right. Okay, again, he's buying in. If he says he's looking into it, this is something that's under investigation, that's a good man. That means he really wants to know for himself, and he's not ready to just grab an answer. He's looking at it in an honest way. He's a Talmud Chokham and a Paisik and, a, and a, the, the people come to him with a lot of shilas. I know who it is. But it's very appropriate that he tell, dealt with it that way. Many years ago, I said this story before, I know, but and many years ago, there was, a, I don't want to say how many years ago, but it was, it was decades ago, there was a chela problem here in the United States, a very severe chela problem, and people stopped using meat for a short time maybe a month, two months, whatever it was, there many, many people stopped eating meat. And somebody came over to me, knew I was doing, I was involved with kashras, even in those days. And they said to me, you know, what's with meat? You, you don't eat meat, do you? I said, of course I eat meat. He said, what? You're eating meat? You know, the chela problem. It's not. I said, you're right. Of course there's a chela problem. He said, well, how could you decide to eat? How could you eat meat? I said, because I have a rub. And my Rav trusts a certain uh, butcher who has a Kabbalah going back a long time ago from Europe. And he's an Erlichiyid, and everybody knew that name. I'm not going to mention the name, but it was a Williamsburg name. And that's where I started getting my meat, because that's the only one I could trust without a doubt, especially when they had a whole problem here in the country, which was a real problem. People were really finding there was chalev that many of the butchers didn't know about and many of the menachem didn't know about. And it's true, they did have to redo the system that they were using. And uh, cautious agencies would take big pieces of meat and take it into their office, I know for a fact, and work on it until they were satisfied that they have a method that would traber the, uh, completely from chalev. It was not a joke. Uh, there were some aspects of it that were funny. I don't know if I'm going to say it now on the radio, but it seems that a certain rub, I won't mention anything about it, but a certain rub was showing pieces of meat that were found that had chalev in it. And those, some of those pieces were pieces that uh, don't have any chalev to start with. So that they, there definitely was confusion before the people came to talk about it, and there was confusion afterwards. But this particular gentleman was very well known very accepted, a Williamsburg uh, butcher. And that's where we started getting our meat, based upon my Rebbe. Uh, that's Rav Basha Zim in Zatzal. And so I told him, I, I eat there. So he says, so where can I get meat? So I told him, listen, in New York City, anybody that paskins a Shaila and Hilchas Nida, you could rely upon for meat. So he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? What's it one got to the other? I said, well, Hilchas uh, Nida, the Onesh is Kares, being cut off. And and Chelev, and the Onesh is Kares. So if a person is reliable to answer Shaila and Hilchas Nida, then you can reliable on meat too. So he looked at me and said, What are you talking about? Hilchas Nida, you learn Hilchas Nida, and it's in Shulchan Aruch. But the mean, how do you expect the rabbi to know? 
what's chaylev and what's not chaylev unless he studied in the, in the butcher business for twenty for, for ten years or whatever it is. I said, you're right. He doesn't know meat, but he has yirushimayim. That's why you go for hilchas nida because he has yirushimayim. That's why you're going to go for the for the meat also because he has yirushimayim. And that's the kaka hayan. That's exactly what it was with, with my Rebbe Zatzal, who was a big Yerushimayim. And if he's decided that this man was Ehrlich enough for Kashvis, then I can assure you he was, he was Ehrlich, and I don't have any question till this day that I have a Chela from him. I uh, can't talk about everybody else, I can talk about there. So that, that's, that's a way to deal with That's a rub. And this rabbi told this gentleman, He's looking into it. I said, you wait until he tells you what the answer is. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to whatever I'm saying. Listen to your Rav. Your Rav said, how can this be? Some of the Rabbanim out there are going to agree with me. And some of the Rabbanim out there are not going to agree with me. But that doesn't matter. That's what Yerushimayim is. That's what a Rav is. That's why a person goes to a Rav. And hopefully he's shooting a Rav who has Yerushimayim and will look into the Shiloh properly. If the rub doesn't look into it, so then the rub is at fault. It's, he shouldn't be just saying, you know, uh, oh, I heard uh, somebody told me one day a guy came to the shul and he said, no, that, that's obviously not a, a derech. So we hope that the rub that you're going to is a rub that's achroi and takes responsibility for what he says, and you should have no problem. And that, that, that's what I told him. And then he asked me more questions, so I gave him a little background of what's going on in the topic about that insect problem. But to decide, I said, no, your decision is in the hands of your Rav. That's, that's the way everybody should do. Now, what's happening here with this fellow is he was seeking more information. But what he was really doing, he was overloading the circuits. He was confusing himself. That's the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah wants us to be besuffic, to have doubt. So when you hear, this one said that, and that one said that, and now you don't know what to do at all, that's the doubt that the Yetzirah is putting into your head. And, and a person can't conduct himself that way. So even when I say something on the radio, I hope that the people are going home and discussing with their own rub, because that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be that you accept anybody. Uh, so sometimes people call up the, our office and they start talking, and they don't know who they're talking to. They don't know if it's me or it's somebody else. And you know, I'm, I'm always amazed that they call the number and they don't even ask who they're speaking to. Are they speaking to a rabbi? Are they speaking to somebody, you know, that's, that they have any reason to suspect he knows what he's talking about? It's a very unfortunate thing. And sometimes you call organizations and you speak to a secretary. The secretary isn't necessarily trained the way the rabbi is. And therefore, when you investigate by calling up a cautious agency, or you're speaking to a, a telephone number of a, a cautious magazine, you got to make sure you're talking to somebody who is responsible. I have workers that uh, in the in the office that uh, oh, I wouldn't suggest you ask any questions about cautious. They don't have any training on it at all. They're not rabbis. They don't have any training in it. So it definitely is something that uh, a person should think a little bit more about. The best is always to go back to your rabbi when you hear something that seems new to you strange to you, and don't rely on anybody else but your Rav. That's definitely the best derech. Next topic I want to talk about uh, is about um, a, 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 another person who came to me in shul on this Shabbos, and I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. First, I want to just make a, a mention about our sponsor, which is Glotmart. We're clean, conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. When you're uh, shopping at Glotmart, you should know you're going to get price, convenience, quality, and it's a wonderful experience because the people who work in Glotmart are very knowledgeable about the kosher field, and they're very careful. The store is has a tremendous of, of amount of oversight. Uh, Dove uh, Bauman is uh, constantly throwing, uh, flowing through the store, and there's a mashkiach at all times in the meat department, whenever anything is being produced in the meat department, there's a mashkiach on the store, store is under the Vada Kashras of Flatbush and the Star K. The mashkiach is responsible to them. And uh, it's a situation for 35 years, been serving the kosher community of Flatbush. 
You can get delivery out of the area, and they deliver even as far as, uh, I don't know, I should say as far as, I know they deliver to Manhattan and they have other areas, and it's a, a wonderful store to shop in. They have the specials every week, approximately 50 items on special. Also, if you want to save some time and convenience some parking, pull in from the East 12th Street entrance and leave your car with the valet parking service and be there available for you when you come back with all the items you purchased in the store. It, uh, Glockmart is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M, and uh, meeting their shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove and Glockmart, tell them you heard about Glockmart over J Root Radio on Kashrus on the Air. And now we're going to go on to the next topic that we, uh, I see another question came in here and the uh, was texted in, we'll get to it shortly. Uh, if you want to call us, we're at 718-683-5858. If you want to text a question, 347-927-8398. I want to make sure to mention this story because it's also very telling. Recently, I spoke in the yeshiva. We are, occasionally I'm asked to speak in different yeshivas. I spoke in the uh, seventh grade. And one of the parents came over to me on Shabbos and told me, of the difficulty that he was having. And I'd like to share with you what the topic was. I know it sounds like something we've discussed before, but this way I'm talking about it is a, it unfortunately is a new issue we have to discuss. And it goes back to what I just started with before about having a rub. What happened was we was asked to speak about going out and eating in different places here in Flatbush. And I talked about my position about Dunkin' Donuts. And we talked about Starbucks. Maybe we, I think we talked about it. And we talked about 7-Eleven. And basically, I was telling the boys that the, uh, there's a need to have Ashkocha on the store. Um, in, the, in the Dunkin' Donuts, well, first of all, the milk could be, even though it says Chal Israel on a container, but it's an open container. There's no Jew in the building. So that's really not a, a, a fail-safe way of dealing with it. You may probably not, I mean, you can't guarantee you're getting color of Israel. I mentioned some of the problems that came up in the Dunkin' Donuts, in, uh, in non-Jews bringing in work there, bringing in non-kosher food and heating it up in the microwaves. I mentioned other issues. I mentioned the Shiloh from Bishalak. I mentioned a lot of different Shilohs to them and explained to them that this really may not be a, a situation that's for us because it's open seven days a week, et cetera, et cetera. Can you buy a coffee there? The answer is yes, you can buy a coffee, especially in the ones that are open, that are, that are uh, under Hashkocha. I certainly think you could buy a coffee there for the question of the, uh, the insects in the water. That I can't tell you if they filter or don't filter, but if they filter... Then I could say you could buy a coffee there without question. If you don't filter, then if you want want filtered, it's not filtered. But as far as the the cautious of the coffee, they're not only bringing anything tray from the store. Unfortunately, I did mention that there's I don't know if I told these boys that, but there was a situation uh, where they found non-kosher ice cream in one of the Dunkin' Donuts was on Dorshkocha. So a store that's open seven days a week with no mashgiach in it, it's something that you have to think about going into that store. Even with a so-called hashkocha on the on the on the wall, they're not coming in more than every th- two to three or four weeks. Some Dunkin' Donuts get visited once a month. Some get visited every two weeks. It varies. I don't think that that's a strong hashkocha. That's basically what I told them. Then we discussed the Seven Elevens because I mentioned that outside of New York, where they go to the Star K, the Chicago Rabbinical Council, where the Yale, any of these places. Whether you ask the OU, whether you ask the Kuf K, any of these regular hashkachos, you know, national hashkachos, will tell you that you need a hashkacha on the store in order to be able to buy Slurpees. So people say, but they bring in the, 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 the camps all came in on the day 7 Eleven and they got a free Slurpee. Yeah, they all went to all the stores. We don't recommend that. We don't recommend it. Maybe they looked into that store and examined it and did something. Maybe, I don't know. But as far as what should be done, I don't think it's a good chinuch. I think it's wrong chinuch to tell them to go into these stores. And no one is going to be able to control them once they walk into these stores. Once you go into one of these stores, you're going to be able to, 
you're, you're going to be able to buy anything there. And a lot of times, kids don't know where to stop. They don't know that if you can buy this and buy that. Well, maybe, maybe this was kosher too. I didn't realize. You know, I forgot for a minute. These are things that I saw somebody else buy, and he had the yarmulke on. So this is the kind of problem that you're presenting unless you have a yashkocha on the store. So I mentioned that and a few other things. So this fellow came up to me on Shabbos, know him very well, and he, and he said, you really shouldn't be telling these boys this thing. Why not? Because I go to the 7-Elevens and eat the Slurpees. My wife goes to the Dunkin' Donuts and buys the coffee, and my son is saying that uh, we're not doing proper kashras. So it's the wrong chinuch. So I have to say in, re in response that I'm telling you what the kashras agencies are saying. I'm telling you what's considered to be the kosher standard of, of, of today. Maybe in the 1950s, 1960s, we were more liberal. But this is the way kashras is done today by the national kashras organizations, not just by Hamish people in Williamsburg. This is what the national hashkachas are saying. They don't want you buying in, in a real restaurant. They don't want you buying a coffee because the things are washed together. That, that we're dealing with a new level of kashras where Akshwa Dora, in a generation where we're, we're paying $200 for an esrik, we're getting $3,000 pair of tefillin. When people are spending all the money and to get perfect this and perfect that, we certainly should get quality kashras. So I, I think it is definitely appropriate for the kids to hear what we're saying, but the kids should not make fun of their parents. And really, the parents have responsibility to to go and to consult their rov about where they should be going. If somebody came home and said to, to the parent, you know, uh, we, there's a minig that, that you didn't know that we have uh, to do this, do that. You would grab it. It doesn't hurt. And if it was um, a halacha that maybe you didn't, you, forget, you didn't know about, muksa, <laughs> you certainly would start being careful about that. If it was something that uh, you had forgotten, you would be happy to be reminded of it. So why is it that when, when it comes to kashras, you don't hear that we have to move up? That's, that's unfortunate, because what I'm saying, and I've said it many times, is the hashkacha out of, and the, I'm sorry, the hashkacha, the people living in Baltimore or in, or in Chicago or you know, other areas where the Vod tells you can't go in unless it has hashkacha on the 7-Eleven, that's what's being taught in middle America. Why should Flatbush, Brooklyn, be any different? Why should we be a lower level? I, that, that seems ABC to me. But if a person thinks, I don't care, it's mutter, I'll piyalacha. So then, asay lecha rav, And if the kid does talk chutzpah or the kid says, I don't want to follow that, I heard from Rabbi Wickler, or I heard, I heard from my Rebbe, or whatever it is. So that's time for that boy or girl to meet with the rav. And if the rav says, your parents are doing the right thing, then that's where it stops. And asay lecha rav is the way to go. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the standard that the family accepts and what the Rav that you've chosen to lead you is telling you to do. That's where you should be putting your emphasis. So before we go on to any other aspect here, I want to uh, discuss a couple of the texts that we've received. And if you want to text us, it's 347-927-8398. We still can take some calls. See, no one's calling in. But at 718-683-5858. Uh, says over here, I dropped the raw hamburger in the sink. What's the halacha? Well, the answer is very simple. Pick it up. Wash off the... Uh, first of all, I don't know if the sink is fleshics or milchiks apart. But it Make sure there's nothing that's milchiks or, uh, on there. Or, you know, if, if there's nothing on the hamburger, so then, of course, you could use it as is. You want to wash off the a little bit the on the outside, so you could do that. Uh, but if there's nothing, if nothing was in the uh, the sink, it can't do any damage to the hamburger. As far as the sink, even if it was a milchiker sink, all you do is clean it off well. We like to suggest that a person use first cold water or let's say lukewarm water, and uh, then then afterwards use a little bit of soap. And, and lukewarm water, and not to use hot water right away, because hot water 
will get you into hot water. Hot water will burn it in to the sink, and then maybe, even though it's cliche and everything, but it creates a problem for us, and therefore we prefer that you use cold water and a little bit of soap and clean it up, and there's no problem since it was all it was all uh, cold. Now it says, I used the sink earlier for draining pasta. We're getting another text in here. I see everybody likes the text today. One second. I use the sink for draining pasta on a dairy burner. That's... Again, so that so that would mean that we, what she want the he or she wants to know that if he puts something in, I don't know what the dairy burner means. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's, it seems like nothing to do with the, the dairy burner. Is 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 the pasta was dairy? Again, I don't know uh, what I don't he means. I don't so, so. Yeah, let's go through the case and make it a little clear. Let's say you put a uh, you 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 have a, a pot that is milfix. And you put it, and you put a pasta inside. Now it's true that pasta shouldn't be mixed with meat, but it's only we call not by not. And therefore, if it falls down on the sink, it doesn't make the sink milchix, and it won't affect this hamburger. If the hamburger is hot, it's cold, it won't affect it. Okay, so that basically is that. Uh, of course. A hot hamburger is a little different. I'm going to talk about it. Maybe something we'll talk about it today, another time, whatever. Next, we have another text here. My wife was recently in a certain store on Coney Island Avenue, and they were selling Dan and yogurt with flavors that has no ashkocha, only the coffee in the villa had, N-O-U. So I suppose that they're trying to alert us to what they consider a problem. But the reality is, and if you don't understand this or not, that we, most of the, uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with Dan, and it's not in Tzalostam, I don't know what the deal is with it, but um, a lot of yogurt companies will have a national hashkocha on some of their yogurts, and a K, or nothing, on some others of their yogurts. And that is very, very important. It's not an accident. And that K is not the OU or the OU K. That K means that there's a certain rabbi, and you look at the ingredients, I'm guaranteeing you it's the it's got gelatin in it. Gelatin. Gelatin from a non-kosher animal in it. Ah, so how could it have a K? Because there are people who hold that gelatin from a non-kosher animal is kosher because it's been changed as it comes out of the bones or of the hide. And when you don't, you're not eating the gelatin is not the actual bone. It's a, a byproduct of that bone. The, what comes out is called collagen. And according to some, that is kosher, even from a non-kosher animal. So there are some people, all these years, were calling that kosher gelatin. We weren't using it. We only used kosher gelatin that had a fish gelatin that was kosher certified or beef gelatin that was kosher certified. That started with Rabbi Shimon. Ida brought that whole topic in. Before that, we didn't use what they called kosher gelatin. And these national companies continue to use that gelatin for some reason uh, in their products. And uh, you can have, you'll find the same company using an OU on some and a K on others. That's what that means. Now, if it doesn't have Ashkach at all, of course, that's a problem. Now, the gentleman or lady who sent that in wanted to say, that that was in a well-known store, but I will not mention the name of that store. So again, what you, what you should understand is that in the stores you go into, sometimes products are going to be sold, you know, even though it's a Hamish store, their products are going to be sold that have no ashkocha or have a K and it's not a good ashkocha, etc., etc. The reason for that is that the, uh, the store sometimes doesn't know better but usually the reason is that it was delivered without their asking it to be delivered. A lot of times, especially you know, you have the Snapple. The Snapple, many of the Snapples are not kosher, and I mean not kosher, and the other ones have an okay on it. And a lot of times they deliver those without an okay on them, and those are not kosher at all. And they weren't produced under kosher circumstances, and there are non-kosher products that are there. So it's a non-kosher product. And it's very often delivered, mixed together with the other ones because the same name or the similar, and that's that's a, a delivery problem. 
one of the jobs of a mashkiach is to check that the delivery uh, is, is correct and nothing came in that is not kosher. In our stores in Flatbush, unfortunately, we don't have a mashkiach on all the stores. And a lot of times the mashkiach's job is to check those things in. So in, uh, you know, in a restaurant, he would be checking it in because that's being put directly into the food. A lot of times in a, in a supermarket, the mashkiach is only in charge of repackaging or of making salads or checking lettuce, and that's all his job is. He has no responsibility for the other products sold in the store. And that is a very, very serious issue. I thank, thank the listener for bringing up that topic. Now, another person asked us, I'm glad, I'm glad to address the coffee in the 7-Eleven. Does this include only black coffee also? This include oh, only black coffee. It's a pure black coffee. So the answer is like this. Again, in all these stores, if you're in New York City, there's a problem with water. If you're concerned about that in your house with a filter, you want to buy outside something that has a filter. But they'll tell you in the store, I'm sure it's true, whatever it is, that's filtering it, fine. So let's say it's filtered. Let's say it's being filtered. Now, a regular coffee is acceptable in a non-kosher setting as long as it's not a full restaurant because in a full restaurant it's put through the dishwasher and in the dishwasher they put it in it's a high temperature without soap in the first cycle that's the problem in the and therefore equipment that's washed in there in the in the dishwasher is rendered not kosher and since they're moving the thing so fast, it's all called Benyomo. And that's the problem we're dealing with in a full-service restaurant. On the other hand, in a small place, they're just washing it in the back in the sink. And they wash it independently. There's not, much to, not all that much to wash. So when they're in the, in the gas stations, etc., again, I don't know if they're using filtered water or you're concerned about it. But if, if, they, if that's not an issue, then yes, in the gasoline stations and other places where they have a small little kiosk, you could buy a black coffee in a non-kosher establishment. I mentioned here that uh, that's the way it was when my Rebbe Zatzal, Rav and Zatzal taught us. You could buy, in those days when we didn't know about the insects in the water, so we could buy a coffee anywhere. That was the way we always conducted ourselves, and that halacha did not change. The only thing that changed is we found out about the restaurants uh, in their in washing in the dishwasher. It changed. That's the only thing. So that's the answer to that. And now uh, we have another question. Oh no! Oh. Is Gatorade kosher in the Seven Eleven machine? I don't know the Seven Eleven stores. I'm not in there. I don't go there. But uh, this Seven Elevens again. Nothing in there, whether it's a soda fountain drink, uh, different other than a black coffee. If you hold this, that the, the, the water is okay for you, other than the black coffee, and if again, in 7 Elevens, I just hope it's not a full, it's like a small store. I hope it's not considered a restaurant, but other than that, you can't buy anything because the sodas can be, um, can be switched from one to the other. The Slurpees can be switched from one to the other. This mistaken signage, which we mentioned in the Cosmos Magazine uh, issue ago, there's some mistaken signage in the stores. There's a lot of things. That's why Ahashkoch, and the only one I know is, is if it's still true, is that on the one on Avenue J has Ahashkoch. It's the only one that I know, uh, and that was under the, uh, the, the that was under the Cuff K. So you could always verify that. I think people have told me that they have verified it recently. I used to work as a mashkiach with the staff being non-Jewish. They didn't know very much about kosher, and I saw the fraud and problems that go on there. Why can't they have Jewish workers in all kosher kitchens? Well, I mentioned it earlier, and it really is a very, uh, a very unfortunate thing about, about our world today that people, uh, you know, men, many of the businesses don't see the value of having Jewish workers. It's a combination of the expense 
one of the uh, owners told me, he said, Jewish people don't want to work, which of course is not true, but he meant the kind of work that I could get out of the other people. And he, sometimes they like to yell at people and they like to uh, be very very demanding of them and they don't feel that they want to treat a Jewish person that way so I don't know if that's a Mila or Chesaron, it seems to me that there are people without jobs and they should be looking for ways to get those people to get, get jobs, I mean that's the, the real halacha, uh, that's what Rambam says, that to offer somebody a, uh, help somebody in business, I suppose to offer them a job as well, is the highest form of tzedakah and it's true, but it is hard if you have a fellow who has been learning Gemara and, and he wants to start out, has nothing else to do right now, it's going to be hard to convince him to, uh, to be a dishwasher in the back of a restaurant. I mean, that's not an attractive job. And uh, he can't work as fast as some of the others probably. And he's not interested in it. And, uh, you know, he's going to be fetching a little bit about it. And uh, so it's, it's, not really, uh, uh, it's not really all the fault of the owners but to a certain extent, it is. And there's a gentleman who is a waiter in a non-kosher setting, and he calls me up constantly to remind me about this importance of getting Jewish workers in these restaurants. He said, the only reason I'm working in a non-kosher setting is because I have to, I mean, he's a man, is because I, ha- I can't get a job in, 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 in some of these other places. And it'd be wonderful if they started hiring Jewish people from people and uh, it's, it would be a wonderful thing. It's just maybe it's economically hard. And as I said, it, some of the people like to mistreat those workers and find it difficult to deal with a Jewish person that way. Whatever it is, it isn't happening. So that's the answer to your question. Right now, uh, Okay, that's all we have here. Everybody wants to email us, I mean to text us. The number is 347-927-8398. The phones are here. If you want to call, 718-683-5858. We're here live. I want to mention quickly a story that we did mention a while back. A very interesting story. And it ties in a little bit to this topic that we were discussing tonight the Asel Harav, etc. It's a story that happened in the Yeshiva Staten Island. The Yeshiva Staten Island, Rabbi Ruven Feinstein, Rosh Yeshiva, he said he told the story, told me the story, about a, a, a boy that they had in the Yeshiva. The boy was uh, a good boy, but he wasn't the top boy in the Yeshiva. And he was very from. He was makped on Chol of Israel, while many of the boys in the yeshiva used Khalvstam, they went to Carvel, they bought ice cream, Khalvstam ice cream. And this boy was very makped on Chal of Israel, he was, taught, he was brought up in the home to be makped on Chal of Israel. And this, it bothered him tremendously that he was a good boy, but that the Rebbe's liked the other boys better. The other, not even better like them, but I mean, they considered him, the other, some of the other boys to be superior. They could see the way he was, he could see the way they were treating them, that they, that they thought they were geschmack, they, they knew it better, whatever it was. He felt jealous of those boys, and they used Chol of Stam. And he was brought up, if you use Chol of Stam, to Pistagoy. So that's how he, he was trained. And it, bothered him no so no end that he's eating Khalv Israel and eating Khalv Stam and then Mahabad those boys. So he just he left the Yeshiva and Feinstein says and he didn't blibe by Torah. He didn't stay a Torah Dekayid. I didn't say he was not Shama Shabbat, but he is, but he didn't stay with Torah. And he says all because of that chinuch, that education, that he's he's a goy if he eats Khalv Stam. And, and, and that, that's the wrong chinuch. And we're just mentioning to the story we were talking about before, the boys, if somebody is more makped in the family, people, some boy wants to be more machmir than the parents, so whatever it is, call it kavod. But you have to remember, everybody has to treat somebody who's not 
as mockpit as they are on some aspect of kashrus, you don't go feeling that they, you're superior to them. You don't go thinking they're a goy. You think, Baruch Hashem, I understand this topic and I want to do it. Beautiful. But don't put the other person down. Uh, I want yeah. to say before we have a full caller, yeah. but I want to ask to say this. Isn't uh, uh, also teach us to the teacher has to be a little bit more cautious and to give the right attention to all the kids? Correct. That's uh, of I, I, I definitely of I would say I don't but, uh, blame the, the boy or parents alone. But it, it is correct. But it, it's a fact of life that most of the teachers have teachers' pets. It's a fact of life that one boy gets uh, the higher grades and then because of he, he earned it and then he gets he gets an award by from the principal in the yeshiva and it does create kin it's not a good thing but unfortunately we have to do it to show how a person has accomplished something to spur boys on girls on anyway let's take the caller go ahead you're on cautious on the air go ahead please yeah hi rabbi wickler uh, just a clarification about someone who wants to buy a black coffee in a store that doesn't have ashkocha. Uh, I think we have to make it clear it should not be a flavored black coffee. Right. Thank you, Rabbi Israel. Thank you very much. Definitely. You're welcome. Thank yes, you sir. very much for the horror. Okay, yeah. I mean, the flavor, it, it's, it's valuable to know that flavored coffees do create a, uh, a big problem for us today. Um, this is something that what didn't exist a while back, and uh, it became a big topic. The, the problem is that when you go to a, a restaurant and you're buying uh, even what they call black coffee, is it possible that it's run through the same machine as they have the, um, as they have the flavored coffees? Now, obviously, they don't want to do it simultaneously because that would... Get, the taste would be a residue taste and you wouldn't like it. You would complain. So they don't do that. But they do sometimes use this uh, machine and then they switch it over to the other machine. But uh, again, uh, that's not something that you have to be so concerned about because it's not, uh, if they have a dedicated thing, it says over here, black coffee or right, coffee and the other one says flavored coffee. You could assume that that's the one that they're dedicated. And if they do clean the machine, if there's downtime, and that may be enough to make it uh, that if they switch one to the other, you shouldn't have to be concerned about it. It's not something they're going to switch all the time because they really don't want that flavor to be in the uh, regular coffee. People would complain about it. So you don't have to worry too much. Yeah, we have a caller? Okay. Go ahead. You're on cash yeah, on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes, go ahead. I, have a, I, I just want you talking about Chol Stam. So, so um, I just heard recently on a, a tape from Tom, uh, Shul Felber, from Lakewood, he was saying that Chol Stam nowadays is much more humber because most places can hold that the, that the trafers, the, the, the things they do for the stomach, I forgot what it's called, the kind of like, 15 years ago, whatever it was there, most places can hold that it's, it's called a tree. So even though they're trying to heal the stomach and everything, and therefore, if Chovi I heard this also from the OU, when I, when I took the cashless course, that, that Chovi is when they have whole milk, they're much more, you don't have that problem of trafers. And trafers is something they're right And Moshe, he says, Moshe probably would never have been out there, uh, a suffolk they're right. He's talking about, he, he, he wants you hold like that place, that individual, the chidim, that hold that's not called a trefer. And as a side of Heschel Shechta, I know for a fact that my mother knows his wife, that he doesn't drink milk at all because of trefer. So I don't know, he has a whole different sheet of maybe out, out, uh, a different, out, he holds kavua, whatever it is. But um, when you talk about Chol Stam, I remember Feinstein, that was some maybe 20 years ago, but nowadays it's much more common. And he said even refinement, um, Yes, one of uh, one of you in the Lion Lake was to come to Baltimore. We wanted to speak to people and talk and make them aware of this. That Cholstam nowadays, because of the trafers, is much more important than if you go to a, a, a you know Cholvistro. Okay, that's what, that's what I wanted to ask you. I, I have another question. But wait, wait, okay, you got to do one thing at a time. So let me yeah, let okay, me no, let, no let me respond. Okay, we, we, we have yeah, time. No we'll problem. answer the other one too. This is a very yeah. good point you made. And believe me, I got a lot to talk about there. I'm just going to tell you very succinctly. The, the what you're referring to is a displaced abamasum, which means it's a it's a problem with the bloating of the stomach that the animal has. 
talking about a cow, and there is an uh, operation which is done by some veterinarians, not all veterinarians. Can you turn down the radio? Or whatever yeah, you're listening sorry, yeah. to, the how we yeah, on, the, yeah. on the internet, wherever. Okay, so the the there's a uh, there's an operation that can be done. Not all veterinarians do an operation. There's another way to, to solve it by by manipulation. But let's say they're using the operation, then halachically it would make the animal a trefa. So certain of the animals have that done, and in in Chal Yisrael they remove those from the farm, or they study the tags, because there's a tag on every ear, on the ear of, the, of each cow, and they look for the, the ones that had the operation, and they don't let them be milked for Chal of Israel. So Chal of Israel controls for this problem, while Chal of Stam does not control for it, and there are a certain number of trephas mixed in, and a certain number of trefa, a certain amount of trefa milk is being mixed in with kosher milk. The position of the OU is and the OK, the Cuff K, the Star K, uh, even though the Star K you mentioned, but the Star K gives on Star D, the Star K and uh, the um, uh, the Cuff K, the, uh, the CRC in Chicago, all the national hashkachas still give on Call of Stop. So we can't do away with that. What Ramosha would have said, I don't know, but no question, if somebody's sitting on the fence. And thinking about this topic, yes, it's the time to join the Chal of Israel grouping. But to say in, to say that uh, anybody who drinks Chal of Stam is eating treif because the, 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 the treif is in there and it's not bottle, that would be hard to say that because, as I said, all the national organizations, plus dozens and dozens and dozens of other organizations, are still giving on Chal of Stam. Next question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, um, also, what you said before, early in the show, about the mission itself for the Tadim. So, is there, do you, are you familiar with the Hetzer that if uh, Ashkenazi is the Mashkiach, then it's like a, he's he, Nemon, he helps for the Tadim? Hey, no, 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 one second. You're missing the point. Tadim has to have where the Jew puts the food on the fire. Mashkiach to me, doesn't do a thing for him. If the, if the Goy puts the food on the fire, it's not Bishel Yisrael for Svadisha. There's nothing to do with anything else. The, so there's, what's the Hetter from Avad Yosef or something? I'm not sure. I'm not familiar I'm not with the Hetter, but if there is a Hetter, it's the fact that 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 the, the Svadim were living in, a, in, a, in, in the countries where they don't have this Hashkafas. They don't have the control over it. So there was maybe a, 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 a Hetter for accepting the Hashkachas. Okay, well, I'm not saying it right. The okay, on, the this only is what I'm that the Rabbi Badeh said it's Dalmide Yeshiva, that learning with the Ashkenaz Yeshiva. Okay. That's the Eter that we have over there, but that's the, the things that. Uh, but what about a guy living in Flatbush? What was he uh, supposed to So he go to the kitchen and said to the, the guy, uh-huh. please. Uh, put me the, the food, or I myself many times I go to the kitchen. I'm doing myself. Okay, Nisim, you you came here. You came here a few years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Nobody was doing this. Uh, 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 20, 30 years ago, how many restaurants you find in Flatbush? Uh, well, <laughs> there, there was there was a uh, glad kosher. There, there were stores. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, another call. Go ahead. Somebody else on. Okay. No, I, I, Go ahead. I just have one more, one more question. I have, um, again, the, the what's called about the vaciated meat for the stardom. It's very confusing. As I worked at Sustum Ashkir, and one person told me that, like, now it's not so clear the vaciated, the machaber, and the ramosh, what the ramon means when he says that. So, like, some ashkach, like, is there such thing as vaciated for how, or just means of strict ashkach? Like nowadays, does anyone have a Masoira? Do you know if anyone has a Masoira exactly what this is and what not this is? I can't talk about people's Masoira. I can tell you that as, as many people as you know, that's how many different opinions there are of what the base means. Because uh, I know that many of the Svadim will not use meat from people who claim to have base Yosef. And they'll say, this one is real base Yosef, this one is not. It seems that it's a very hard thing because remember the whole problem is that we want to say for base Yosef that there's no circus and right. for many years 
as far as I've been in, as long as I've been in Kashrus, which to tell you the truth is 35 years. So as right. long as I've been in it, the standard in America by the Ashkenazic Hashkachas was three sirchas is glad kosher. Three sirchas is still glad kosher. Wow. So that was the standard, even though that was a fake. I mentioned it in one of the first issues of my magazine that the concept of glad kosher in America was, uh, you know, was in, was really not being utilized properly. And right, so the spar, the, the, the spar, I don't know what the spardom did. I don't know whatever it is, but the but uh, uh, Beit Yosef Glat, because of the desire to get it, because there's a big interest in the Sephardic world and even the Ashkenazic world is getting interested in it. So there's a that leads to the chance that people are going to not cheat, but they're going to uh, be very lenient into terms of what they consider to be Beit Yosef. So yes. There are many different uh, standards for what you might call Beis Yosef. I'm not a specialist in it. I just know about this. And uh, anybody who wants to go into it further has to speak to a rub who is more familiar with it. Okay, we have no more time? Okay, thank you very much for listening. We hope to join you again next week. Again, this is uh, your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. If you want to reach us during the week, the number is 718 718- Three three six eight five four four. If you want free tickets to Kosher Fest, we'll try to get them for you. Just call us at, I'm sorry, not call us, email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, and just write VIP on the subject. Thank you very much, and hoping to speak to you next week.